I'd like to start with a story that hopefully will be familiar. Maybe you've experienced something similar. When I was a kid, maybe six or seven years old, I remember being in a store with my mom. I was, uh, I don't know if it was a grocery store, department store, or what, but at some point I got a little overzealous and and interested in the toys. And uh, by the time I turned around, I guess it was no longer beside me. Mom was gone. She'd gone around the corner. I was, well, I guess I was lost. I was by myself, stomach dropped. I probably turned pale. I was scared. Yeah, anybody ever experienced that in your life? Yeah, so I was scared. I, was, I took a deep breath, rounded the corner, looked down the aisle. Mom wasn't there. I went to the next aisle. I looked down the aisle. Mom wasn't there. I felt worse and worse. The fear continued to mount. And to build, I didn't know what to do. Uh, And in my little kid brain, I realized that if I was going to be okay, someone else was going to have to help me. Like something, I couldn't take care of myself on my own in that moment. I needed help. Now, of course, mom had realized that I wasn't beside her either. And so she was doing the same thing that I was doing. And she probably felt a lot more afraid than I did in the moment. Um, It's funny how parenthood will open your eyes to new things uh, and perhaps new fears. Anyway, uh, I want you to see if you can kind of hold on to that feeling just for a second. A feeling of being lost, a feeling of needing help, a recognition that you are in over your head, and that if you're going to be delivered from this situation, help's going to have to break in from outside of you. But there's another side to that coin, and there's another part to that story, because thankfully, Mom and I did reconnect, right? I'm I'm here today. And, oh my goodness, the sweet relief of that, just the overwhelming relief. It's going to be okay. Mom is here. She is hugging me. I'm fine. She's fine. It's over. That's the other side of that coin that hopefully you have also experienced to whatever degree in your life. Have you felt that before? I'd like you to hold on to both sides of that story, that experience that was mine as a, as a little kid, and probably yours too. As we enter into our scripture passage this morning, it's Jeremiah 31. You might say, why in the world are we reading Jeremiah at Christmas time? Uh, Jeremiah was a priest in Jerusalem who became a prophet, and his task was to announce to the people the coming judgment of God upon the nation. The whole book is basically uh, an extended version of this. That doesn't sound real hopeful at Christmas, does it? Israel, why was God's judgment coming? Um, Israel had failed, they had neglected to care for the poor in their midst, and they had uh, turned away from the foreigner who was among them. Caring for the poor and caring for the alien in their midst, these are two things that God cares very much about and has uh, particular particular, uh, direction in regards to these groups of people in the Bible. The folks had stopped doing this. Not only that, they had stopped caring for the poor and the alien in their midst, and what did they do? They went to to the temple and continued to worship God as if everything was just fine, everything was all right. But when they went home, they were bowing down to idols. 
Now, you can probably find yourself somewhere in the midst of those three infringements, right? Not caring for the poor or the alien in your midst or bowing down to idols. The idols we bow down to typically aren't the physical ones that we carve with our hands. They're, you know, uh, work or money or whatever the case may be. You know what they are for you. But it had gotten so bad that the people were bowing down to idols. That doesn't, you know, God takes that very seriously. Why? Well, because when they were worshiping these idols, it had gotten so severe that people in Israel were sacrificing children. They were practicing child sacrifice because they were following these other gods, these gods like the people in the land, the Canaanite gods in the country around them. So yeah, it had gotten really, I mean, sometimes we might hear not caring for the poor or the alien in our midst and practicing idol worship. And I mean, we know those things are bad, but they don't really connect with us. And you say, well, because of that, they were sacrificing children. You say, whoa, okay. All right. God's judgment was coming with good reason. It was Jeremiah's job to tell the people that this was on the way. What was that going to look like? Babylon, this country from the north, a bit to the east, this huge power was going to come in, defeat the people, destroy the people, destroy many of the things within Israel, and send the people who managed to survive into exile. They're going to take them out of their homes and take them to a far country. Again, this was Jeremiah's job to tell the people this. Why are we hearing this at Christmas? Well, our passage comes within a a small section here in the middle of the book in which Jeremiah also, at the Lord's direction, tells the people about the other side of the coin. The people certainly say, okay, the Lord's judgment is coming. We're in over our heads. If there's going to be salvation, Babylon's at our throats. If there's going to be salvation, it has to come in from outside of us. So can't you imagine their sweet relief Whew, when they heard this word from the Lord, that he would also restore them and remain faithful, though they had not remained faithful to the covenant that he made. So can you hold on to that a second? The kid lost in the grocery store, the fear, but then the joy of restoration. A country who hears that judgment is coming upon them, that a foreign nation is going to conquer them, and then yet the promise that again one day it will be okay. If that's not really connecting with you, maybe just kind of remember 2020 and 2021 and the depths of despair and the frustration and... Uh, the suffering of this past year, and how many of us are not looking to 2021 saying, oh, we hope this next year will be better. We hope the other side of the coin will turn and we experience the sweet relief of that. We hope that some kind of salvation is going to come to us. Okay, so we get that. We, get, we, can, we can connect with all of this in this passage. So as we, as we enter into it, I want you to listen carefully and listen well. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 14. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, 
the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and go forth uh, in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit, for there shall be a day when watchmen will call. In the hills of Ephraim, arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord. Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together, a great company they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil. And over the young of the flock and the herd, their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than two, any two-edged sword piercing to the division of joint and marrow. Thank you that you find a way into our hearts, into our lives, into the very center of who we are. And we come with concerns and people that we're praying for and fearful for. In circumstances that are uncertain, and you have a word to speak to us that you will restore and that you will save. Help us to hear it this day and to experience the sweet relief and deliverance that comes from you and that transforms us each into light, a reflection of your light. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we, um, I think all can connect at some level with this sense of this feeling of needing to be saved, needing to be delivered. Certainly now, like, I don't know about you, like, I, I'm not an epidemiologist. I can't 
cure vaccines at, or cure um, viruses at will, right? Like we, we need help, yeah? So we can all connect with that basic feeling of needing to be saved or needing to be rescued. And usually when I hear that, especially from some preacher talking about being saved, I always go to, to my religious faith and I shift into seeing things through a Christian vantage. And yes, so Jesus is the one who comes and saves us. And I recognize that I need salvation and God's the one who does it. And we tend to separate our, in our brains the different facets and parts of our lives. And so we get in our, okay, we're going to think in terms of religion. But, but this goes far deeper than that because there's really no separation. You can't separate any of this. God's everywhere and fills all things. Like God made everything that is. There's no sacred and secular. It's all belonging to God, including you and me. And so what I want to do just for a second is, is maybe just show how human beings are obsessed with being saved. We are obsessed with it. It's in all the stories that we tell. It's in all the books that we write. It's in all the novels that we read. It's in all the movies and TV shows that we watch. It's everywhere. But typically we think about being saved when we come to church and then boom, there it is. Okay, we can think with our religious hat on. So I'm going to give you a couple examples and, and see um, if this can't point us to, the, to this deep-seated fact that goes beyond sometimes our conscious awareness that we know we need to be saved. And that that salvation has to come from outside of us. It can't, it's not something we produce of our own. So you know where we're going to start? We're going to start with some cartoons. It's everywhere, I'm telling you. Tom and Jerry. Any Tom and Jerry watchers? Right? Tom the cat. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Tom the cat is always chasing down Jerry the mouse. And they're in this constant cycle of pursuit and escape and so on. Occasionally they team up when they're trying to get away from the dog, right? But they're usually at odds. Tom and Jerry. So what I want you to see is that in all of our stories, the climax, the point towards which everything builds and points towards and moves towards, and the point from which everything then resolves is that moment in the story where salvation happens. where the saving takes place. And we're just telling stories over and over about people and things being saved because we love to find ourselves in that story, identify with the characters who are either saving or being saved, and it's in all the stories we tell. So Tom and Jerry actually takes that moment of climax. And it doesn't do a whole lot of build-up or resolution. It's just the climactic moment over and over and over again, the moment of salvation over and over and over again. This, the whole thing is Jerry suspended over the gaping jaws of Tom and somehow miraculously escaping over and over and over again for 30 minutes. And then you watch the next one, and it, the same thing happens again and again. Right? I mean, isn't that all of Tom and Jerry? We're obsessed with seeing Jerry be saved, be delivered, be rescued. He's in over his head. He's facing circumstances and creatures in the world that are more powerful than he is, and yet he's delivered. Sometimes by fate or sometimes by his own ingenuity, but he's saved nevertheless. Um, okay, so let's, let's move from Tom and Jerry to some of you uh, Star Wars fans. Yeah? Um, first, first movie, all right? You've got the Death Star. 
destroying planets. People on the planet realize, whoa, we're about to be blown up. We're in over our heads. We can't save ourselves. Salvation has to come from outside of us. Who zooms into the scene? Luke Skywalker flies into the Death Star. He's making his way in. And at the moment, that climactic moment, when all hope seems lost, his instruments fail. What happens? Even for Luke, something kind of comes in. The, the force, whatever that is, directs him. And he's able to shoot and hit the center of this thing and blow the whole thing up. So Luke is saved and he manages to fly out before the whole thing explodes. But then the people on the planet experience salvation too. It's at the, it's at the climax. It's, at the, it's the main point of the story. And we can all identify that there are things that bring death into the world and maybe death itself is that final great enemy that we can't conquer. We know we need salvation from it, but we can't do it on our own. We tell stories about salvation because we know deep down we need to be saved and we're not watching them because we're thinking about, well, this seems Christian or this connects with some fundamental aspect of my Christian faith. No, we just watch it because something about it rings true for us. It's woven into our being. Or, um, you know, go ahead and think about every James Bond movie that ever was made. Yeah, James Bond, a few James Bond aficionados in, in here this morning. How does it begin? The world, or what is it, MI6, hears that there's some terrible, awful threat that the world can't handle that's either going to change the world order or destroy the world or something. People are in big trouble. They need to be saved. So what happens? They send James Bond out. He finds the villain. They have an initial encounter. Bond sort of easily triumphs. But then it gets worse. He's captured. He's always captured. And he's placed in some room or some situation that seems inescapable. And here's the climax of the movie. The point towards which everything builds. The point from which everything resolves. He's trapped. Miraculously, he always escapes, right? And I mean, to the point of it being ridiculous sometimes. He always escapes. Bond makes it out. So that then what happens after that? Salvation comes to the world. He defeats the bad guy and people are saved. It's in all our stories. Something within us knows that we need to be saved. And so we watch stories of salvation playing out over and over and over again. Uh, maybe you're not into sci-fi or Bond. Maybe you like old Western movies. Uh, Gary Cooper and High Noon, into the movies happening. Bad guys have come. It looks like he's lost. Climax. What happens? His wife comes in and saves him. Saves the town, saves the day, saves the movie. And of course, they can, you know, ride off into the sunset. We tell stories about salvation over and over again. It's in our, it's in our fairy tales and nursery rhymes. Uh, think Jack and the Beanstalk. Just before the giant gets him, he escapes down the beanstalk. In the nick of time, he chops it down, he's saved. Uh, think about um, Little Red Riding Hood. Just before the wolf gets her, who bursts in through the door? The woodsman brings salvation. Salvation comes in from the outside. She doesn't have the resources on her own to do it. It comes to her. Uh, think about Goldilocks. She's, she's in the house. She's, you know, wrecked the place and eaten the porridge and whatever. And the bears are back. And she finds a window. The point of salvation. The place where it happens. Do you begin to see especially in an entertainment-driven culture, 
What are we entertained by? How do we entertain ourselves? Well, we just watch stories about salvation over and over. I think it's really because it's the story of the world. Uh, It's the story of the scriptures. Adam and Eve sin against God, turn away from God. They find quickly, knowing good and evil, that they are in over their heads. They can't save themselves. They just go hide in a corner. And God comes to them and clothes them and says, hey, yes, the judgment is you're out of the garden. But again, you will be restored. Again, we will walk together in the cool of the day. Again, things will be set right. The world faces a flood. They are literally about to be in over their heads. Death's at the door. God makes a way. Uh, he sends Noah. He says that the, the judgment is there, and yet I will preserve. I will keep. Um, the Hebrews are enslaved to Pharaoh. They're in over their heads. They're in, they're in a world that they can't control. They're at the mercy of forces larger and meaner than they are. Salvation is going to have to come in from the outside. God sends Moses and delivers them, and they know salvation. Uh, The people are beginning to enter into the promised land. Joshua is leading the way. They face these giant people, Gog and Magog, these foreign kings who commune with demons, who are bowing down to idols, who are doing horrible things, child sacrifice among them. The people want to run. How can we face these folks? Salvation comes in. God delivers. Of course, the stories of exile and of return and restoration. All of these point, and here's where it comes to Christmas, all of these point to Jesus. The world finds itself in deep darkness. Salvation, if it's going to come, has to break in from the outside. We can't work hard enough. We can't create a utopia. We can't be kind enough or make sure everyone else is kind enough to change our fallen fundamental human nature. Salvation has to come from outside. And Christmas is about the fact that it has. That God the Father sends the Son into the world in the power of the Spirit to save us. An angel comes to Mary and says, You'll bear a son He'll be son of the Most High. You shall name him Jesus. Do you know what Jesus means? Like the literal name? God saves. It's what his name means. It's because it's the center of the story. It's the most fundamental aspect of the world. Yeshua, Yah is in like Yahweh. God saves. God saves. We tell stories about this on end. But it's because there's an element in there that's woven into our lives, into our beings. We know, we know, you know. You've been in a world where things have climbed above your head. You need saving from yourself, from others, from circumstances. We know it. We know that first side of the feeling of the kid lost in the store. But in Christ, we can also know the flip side. The incredible sweet relief, the incredible joy, the overwhelming love, the powerful hope that doesn't leave us at the whims of circumstance anymore. Our passage today, uh, I got a couple things I just want to pull from it and point out to you. 
One, like why does God save? If that is <laughs> such a fundamental aspect of who God is that when he comes among us that he takes that name, God saves. Um, why? Why? And then what does it begin to look like? And, and once God saves us, where does he take us? Where do we go? Where do we end up? What's the trajectory? And so here it is. I mean, it is very clear. If you're wondering why God wants to save you, here it is. Chapter 31, verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's why. That's why God saves you. Because he loves you. I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. And certainly when I hear that for myself, I hear, even when I wasn't faithful in return. That's why we need saving. That's why the relationship needs to be restored. But God remains faithful. Why? Because he loves us. And so when he comes to save, what does it look like? Yes, uh, in the story of the scripture, in the build up to the climactic moment, we see God sending uh, messengers, emissaries, uh, servants ahead. We see Noah. We see Moses. Uh, we see Joshua leading the people, helping enter into a, a preliminary sense of that salvation, which is completed in Christ. But what does it look like when it, when it happens? Here he says, Behold, I will bring them from the north country. So God says, I'm going to do it, not by sending Moses, but by coming myself to you. I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. He says, I will make them walk by brooks of water. That sounds like baptism, doesn't it? I will lead them in a straight path in which they will not stumble. Sounds like John the Baptist who cried out in the wilderness, make straight a highway for our God. He said he will shepherd him like a shepherd shepherds his flock and gather us together. That's one reason that we continue to gather together because God does that with us. He brings us into communion with each other. He says, then I will turn their mourning to joy. Anybody been sad lately? Guess what's going to happen? God will turn your mourning into joy. He will exchange gladness for your sorrow. There's the marvelous exchange we talked about at the prayer confession. He takes all that is ours, that is not good, that is not holy, that is not true, and He gives us back what belongs to Him. Mourning for joy, gladness for sorrow. He gives us what is good. He says, my people, when I bring them, and this is where we're going, He talks about leading them to Mount Zion, to the Lord. He says, there my goodness will satisfy them. Um, Mount Zion in the Scripture is... Like the spiritual residence, like we think in spatial terms, above Jerusalem where the Lord resides. And so God says, I'm going to come to you who are in exile and I'm going to draw you back, not just to the land, not just to Jerusalem, the holy city, not just to the temple. I'm going to take you up to Mount Zion so that you can be with me. Isn't that beautiful? And when that happens, guess what he says? You will be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, so you'll be like lights, for the Lord is light. We will be like a reflection of Him, but also 
bearing his light because he lives within us, we will be radiant over the grain, the wine, and the oil. So even as we find ourselves like a kid, maybe feeling lost in the store, maybe feeling a sense of fear and being overwhelmed by circumstances larger than us, and we, don't, we know we're going to need to be saved, but it's not going to come from our own resources. As we feel that in this moment in which we live, in this day in which we live, as we connect all the stories that we love to tell now with our Christian faith, this is the fundamental story of the world, and recognize that God will save you, that God has come in Christ to save us, we can recognize, too, that again, we're going to be wearing, Carol Bird will be happy because she loves to shake a tambourine in the choir. Again, we will, wear, we will bear tambourines and make merry together. Again, things will be set right. Again, we will walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. Again, all will be well. And the goodness of the Lord will, will satisfy us as we reside with Him, with God, but here's the thing. We can experience that in a preliminary way here and now and this morning. Do you remember, do you hear where God leads us to Mount Zion, into his presence? That presence is described as being a place with a great banquet table around which God will gather his people and we will feast. And here's this God will be the one who serves us. I think it should be the other way around, but God will serve us. And we will become radiant, light like He is light. Light, radiant over what? The grain and the wine. And what do we come to today but this table that belongs to Christ? There's a participation in the here and the now moment of what we will experience in all its fullness when the entirety of salvation comes. This is where we can experience the other side of that coin. So I invite you there this morning. God saves. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.